We're on the last week of our series, um, When God Shows Up. Because when God shows up, things change. And that's the, that's the whole point of the series. That when God shows up, it doesn't leave us the same. It changes the way we view life. It changes the way we interact with others. It changes, it changes things. And so we've been talking about God showing up in our doubt and God showing up in our trial. And God can also show up in any circumstance of your life. I know a lot of us are here because we have some painful, difficult circumstances. And, and we don't know. We don't know how things are going to end. Maybe. I remember I was, um, I was with my mom. My mom suffers from paranoia, schizophrenia, among other things. Um, she's bipolar and She's a manic depressive. And, <clears throat> and I remember that, like, as a child growing up, I remember thinking to myself, if I could ever have the power to not, take, not let the officers or the EMS take my mom, I would. I would stop them. And I remember I was, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s. And my mother was going through one of her episodes. You know, like she wasn't tethered to reality. She wasn't connected to reality. But it, I didn't want her to go into, uh, in our case, it was Woodhall, back when it was the ninth floor. Now I think it's like the, the psych ward is on the sixth or fifth floor. I can't remember now. But they've changed floors. That's, that's how long my mother's been going to Woodhall psych ward. And... Um, and so she was there, uh, um, she was there and she, uh, she called me up, and it was the winter. I remember because um, I, I didn't wait to tie my boots, or it wasn't, it wasn't boots, it was sneakers, and it was snowing, and I was just running. My, uh, my feet were bare just inside the, the sneaker with no socks. And I ran, and uh, my mother was there, and the EMS and the police were there. And I remember running to my mom and saying, I am not going to let them take you away. I am not. She goes, Edwin, don't let them take me away. And I told her, I am not going to let them take you away. And I meant it. And as I was talking to the police officer and talking with the EMS worker and the, uh, the uh, home attendant who had called, um, as I was talking to them and I was trying to organize everything and stop everything from proceeding forward, it only took about 15 minutes for me to realize that I was not going to be able to stop them from taking her. And she kept on saying, Edwin, don't let them take me. And they took her. And I was with her in the hospital. And I stood with her as long as I could. And then I saw her go in that, that horrible sound. Anybody remember, or anybody has ever heard that sound? With the door, with the, the magnet, and, and just it's that terrible sound, and they push her through. She just sat and pretended to faint so that, you know, I don't know. That was just her way of dealing with it. I remember going downstairs, and as I went downstairs, I was so overwhelmed with emotions. And I was just praying. I was like, God, I don't know. 
I don't get this. And I was angry. I was angry at the home attendant. I was angry at the police officers. I was angry at the EMS. I was angry at myself. I was just angry at my mom, angry. Because every time my mom went to these things, I just didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what the, held the future. I didn't know how she was going to be. Uh, Woodhall is not the safest. At that time, maybe it's better now. At the time, it wasn't the safest place in the world. And I remember I saw this woman. She had these big glasses, big dark sunglasses. And she just, I could see tears streaming down her face. And it was as if God, for the first time, maybe in my life, just reminded me that I had permission to weep over things that I had no control over. I wonder, I wonder if you've ever found yourself in an experience like that, where you don't know what's going to happen in the future, where you're not sure how this is all going to turn out. Maybe, maybe it's a romantic relationship. Maybe it's not as extreme as a mother with schizophrenia and the mental thing. Maybe it's a romantic relationship, and you've put all of your hope coins in this relationship, and you're afraid that it's on the rocks, it's not going to go the way you want. Maybe it's that, I don't know. Maybe it's a child who's decided to make a weird left turn. And you've begged and threatened. You've tried to bribe and talk to. And they're just making a weird turn. And you don't know how this one's going to turn out. Maybe. Maybe it's your marriage, and it just feels like it's not going to make it. Maybe it's your wrestling with an addiction, and you go, I just don't feel on secure ground. I don't know how this is all going to end. Everything is insecure. Everything has been swept up from under my feet. Did you know that all of us struggle with moments like that in life? When everything is taken away, when there's nowhere we know to turn, what do you do in moments like that? The scriptures tell us that in moments like that, God shows up in our lives to remind us that he himself is the one who holds the future. That he himself knows what's going on. And that if we don't know what's going to happen next, we can at least know him and trust him and follow him, even through the moments in life when we're unsure about everything. So God knows that all of us are going to struggle with this, and he, I mean, over and over and over, he puts this stuff in his beautiful scriptures. But there's a moment with this prophet. His name is Isaiah. Isaiah is a man called by God. Isaiah has gone through a terrible upheaval in his life. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. And and then God comes. God comes in a powerful way that I think will minister to all of us who find themselves in the place that Isaiah is at. You don't know what the future holds. 
You don't know how it's all going to go. You're not sure what's going to happen next. You're very afraid about what the outcome could be. Beloved, God knows that you and I will go through this. He knows that you and I will be like Isaiah. And he comes powerfully. So we're going to look at Isaiah's experience and see if we can't learn from what Isaiah learned about God. One of our traditions in this church is to stand at the reading of God's Word. Let me tell you why we do that. And by the way, if you're here and you're new, we are so, so grateful that you're here. I am so glad that you're here. Um, we, in large part, create this service for you. Um, we have people here, if you're new, this is a very unique church. We have people here who uh, can come from penthouses across the street or park benches next door. Amen. And we are all welcome. I don't care where you came from. I don't care where you came from. God is for you, Amen. and he wants to draw you to himself. Yes. And so I'm super grateful, um, super grateful for you being here. Um, again, we're looking at what, how does God meet, meet us when our future is uncertain, when we don't know what's going to go on. We'll look at the text from Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I extended this text a little bit. It was only supposed to be 6, 1 through 8. So that's what you should have on your bulletin. But I decided to extend it to uh, verse 10. So if you don't have that part on your bulletin, it's cool. We thought of you. We're going to have it up there. So, um, but I encourage you, if this is like your church home, I encourage you to bring your Bible. Bring your Bible, mark it up, highlight it, you know, make notes in your Bible. You go, that's sacrilege. No, no, it's really cool. You want to engage with your Bible. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. So um, I'll read all the way to 10, even though you only have till 8. Uh, if you need help, it'll be on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, and two covered their feet, and two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Yeah. Now, this is the part that you don't have. He said, that is God, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, 
understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Isaiah finds himself in a difficult situation, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. He starts it off with this statement. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now this is an important phrase. It's not a throwaway phrase. There's no throwaway phrases in the Bible. In the year King Uzziah died, the reason that um, Isaiah uh, brings this up is that King Uzziah had been the king of Israel for something like over 50 years. This guy was an administrative genius. This guy um, knew how to organize uh, armies and protect his people. And it got, it got so that this king was such a mainstay. Imagine this, right? We have presidents that, thank God, can only be in office for as long as eight years, right? That's, that's as long as they could be in office. This guy was in office for over 50 years. I think that's more than Fidel Castro. And Fidel Castro was in office for like seven presidents, like maybe 15 presidents. He felt like he was in office forever, right? This guy was a part of the fabric of their community to the degree his leadership was indispensable. And when he died, right on the tail of his life, there was a growing threat. The army was from Assyria. And this Assyrian army was taking over large groups of people, large plots of land, and they were coming for Israel. And you could see, you could imagine, the text doesn't say, but you could imagine that Isaiah is like, yo, everything's going to be all right. Uzziah's here. It always works out for Uzziah. Uzziah is the Spider-Man of the uh, of their community. He never fails. He never disappoints the people. He never loses. And when King Uzziah dies, Isaiah's in a crisis. The thing that he depended on is no longer there. The, the person that he trusted with his future is no longer the one who's coming with him into the future. In the year that King Uzziah died. Let me just pause for a second. There will be things that you depend on. Things that you find are super important. And these things will sometimes be, listen to my word, listen to my word, taken from you. Sometimes these things will be taken from you. And all of your security and all of your joy and all of your happiness and all of your hope will go along with it because your hope isn't in Christ, the unmovable, unshakable one. But rather your hope is in that thing, that person, that relationship. Your hope is in that goal, 
that job, that GPA. Your goal is in something other than Jesus. And when it gets, so you can understand why there are um, kids who have like straight A's for their whole life and then they fail a class and commit suicide. Because the thing that was their identity is robbed from them. You can understand a spouse who gets cheated on and then that spouse leaves, the, ne- the other spouse, the spouse that cheated leaves and they commit suicide because their hope was in the spouse. You can understand how people in the stock market could watch the stock market plummet. I mean, and they could jump out of a window. You go, it's only money. No, 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 no. Don't you understand? In the year that King Uzziah died, in the moment where my hope was gone, in the, in, at that time when the thing that I put all of my trust in is no longer there, what do you do? In the year that King Uzziah died, you can understand how some people would rather commit suicide than get sober. Why? Because it's the thing that they depend on for security, for hope, for joy, for satisfaction. So the first thing I want you to see, I want you to see what Isaiah sees. And the first thing, Isaiah sees the level of his loss. If you're going to write, I'm going to give you four points. I want you to see the level of his loss. In the year that King Uzziah died, I'm sure that Liz is going to put that point up in a second. Yes. Isaiah sees the level of his loss. In the year that King Uzziah died. And then I love this. In the year that King Uzziah died, what's the next four words? Anybody know? I saw the Lord. It'll happen just like that. When everything else has been robbed from you, when all of your hope has been taken, when the thing that you're putting all of your trust in is taken from you, there's an unbelievable clarity in that moment. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him, let's just see this. So Isaiah is confronted by the beautiful, wondrous, fierce, scary King God Lord. And he sees him and he's beyond expression. Uh, An older pastor uh, once said, I was listening uh, to a sermon he was doing, and he said this. He said, Steve Brown, he's an older uh, pastor, one of my favorite preachers. And he said, he said, if you've never been before the Lord and been afraid, you've never been before the Lord. If you've never been before the Lord and been afraid, you've never been before the Lord. God is fierce. You've never been in the presence of a hurricane and go, oh, look at how pretty that is, all that wind going around, right? A hurricane is massive, right? You've never, you've never seen like a tsunami 
and go, oh my gosh, I never knew water could go that high. That's so pretty. Just feel, look, the goosebumps, the hairs. The hairs, they're all standing. You've never done that. You know why? Because tsunamis are fierce. Hurricanes are fierce. Did you know? God is fierce. God is fierce. And so Isaiah sees God in a powerful and exalted way. The way God truly is. Not, not that Jesus is my homeboy, homeboy t-shirt God. Not the God um, loves me and doesn't care what I do God. Not the God who's like my grandfather God who just gives me whatever I want. Not that God. Like the God who's greater than a hurricane, the God who's greater than a tsunami, the God that who's greater than a hailstorm, the God who's high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe. That is to say that the glory of God fills this incredible temple. Above him were seraphim. Before I get there, Jack Miller said something pretty funny when he was preaching on this text. He said uh, he thinks that the reason that this was so shocking to Isaiah is because the last person that Isaiah expected to see when he went to church was God. <laughs> it's like we come in. Right? Isn't that your experience sometimes? You come in and you see your friends and you lift up your hands. And if God showed up right now, it would be a shock. We'd be like, I didn't come here for this. This is a little too much. Tone it down some. Can we go back to the music? And, and, and that would be overwhelming to us. Isaiah saw God. He was overwhelming. And, he, and as you'll see, he falls. He, he has an appropriate response. It says those who were attending to God were seraphim. That means uh, seraphim are like the, 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 it literally means like the ones on fire, the, 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 ones, the fiery ones. The fiery ones. Each with six wings, I, I wish we could talk about this more, but we can't. With two wings, they covered their face because they were just marveled at God. With two wings, they covered their feet because they were ready to, it was just a, a level of humility. And with two feet, they were flying, ready to go wherever God wanted them to go. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That when you see God, it changes. It changes everything. It changes how you see life. It changes what you think. It changes. These guys are screaming, holy, holy, holy. The reason that they're screaming holy is God. God is the holiest. Whenever you see like um, uh, repetition in the Bible, it's not there. In other words, it's not there just uh, because somebody forgot that they just wrote holy. It's there because they're going, God is very, we would say, God is very, very holy. He's holy, holy. There's no one more holy, no one more glorious, no one more morally upright, no one more fierce, no one more wondrous, no one who could compare with God. He is a great king. He is a great God. Bigger than any other little gods that you have in your life. 
holy, holy, holy. He is other than. He is glorious. He is marvelous. The whole earth, not just the temple, is filled with his glory. The whole earth can't contain it. When Solomon dedicates the temple, and he, he, he says his awesome prayer, you should study the prayer. It's actually very beautiful and, 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 and convicting. He's praying to God, and he's going, God, this is a massive temple. This is an empire state building kind of temple. It's a glorious temple, and yet the whole earth can't be big enough to contain who you are. You see, when you're in moments of life, when life is insecure and you don't know where it's going, what you need is not a bigger understanding of your problem. You need a bigger vision of your God. You need to be able to see who your God truly is. And as you see God as he truly is, everything else gets right-sized. It would be no different, for instance, if... If you had um, won the lottery, right? Anybody know what the lottery is right now? Yeah, y'all all know, don't you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like in the 200s uh, of the million, right? It's, like, it's, it's really high, unless somebody won this week. The last one I saw was in the two, three hundred million dollars, right? Um, if you hit that number, right? And please, listen to me. Would you just do me a favor? Do me a favor. Don't do it. It's, let me tell you what the lottery is. And this has nothing to do with anything, but I just love you and I, I want to help you. The lottery is a tax on the poor. The lottery is a tax on the poor. What you do is you take your money and you go, oh, no, but I know my aunt, she hit the number. And with playing my uncles, you know, and I know how that whole thing works and I grew up in that culture and it's cool. I'm, I'm, cool. I'm telling you, if you just saved as much money as you did hit playing the numbers... I promise you, you'd be a lot better off. You'd take better vacations. You'd, you'd, do, you'd be better off. Back to the text. All right? It's just a, a sidebar. No, but I love you, man. And listen to me. A lot of us come from, not all of us, a lot of us come from a poor background, and we think that the only hope that we have is in hitting the lottery. I'm telling you, the only hope that you have is in Jesus. The only hope that you have is in the one. And so, and if you don't believe me, the, the New York Times recently did, uh, the New York Times recently did an article on the first 100 people who hit the lottery. Every one of them are broke. Think about that. Money, ain't your, ain't, money is not your savior. Jesus is your savior. And so, <laughs> now everybody check your number, see if you hit. I know, I know. Yeah, you're just talking, Pastor. I'm not doing nothing you're saying. I know, I know. Wasting time, wasting time. Isaiah sees the glory of God, and, he, and because he sees the glory of God, it right-sizes his predicament, his problems, his stresses are right-sized because he sees the right size of who the Lord is. If you had won the lottery and you were going, that's why I brought that up, and you, were, and you were going to whatever office they go to to claim their ticket, and you were going there, and your car broke down, and it was in the middle of a hot swell, like before your car broke down, it was a hot sweltering day, and it was like 95 degrees and your air conditioner wasn't working, and you were just like sweating so much, and then you caught a flat tire, and it's like, guru, guru. And everybody hears you, right? 
And then while you're going, your muffler falls down. And now everybody for blocks can hear, grow, 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 right? And you're, grow, 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 and you're sweating. You, this, is, this is what you would look like. You would be like, <laughs> you know why? Because you have that moment in right perspective. You're going to pick up a check for $300 million, and who cares if the car is broken down? Who cares? There is something more delightful. There is something more powerful. There is something in your future that you are looking forward to that will make this seem like a very small deal. Beloved, listen to me. When you start seeing God, this is how the Christian suffers well. When you and I start seeing God as he actually is, we can go through life with the muffler of our life falling down, the air conditioner of our life not working, with the flat tire, guru, 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 going, We can do it. Let me tell you why. Because we see a vision of the Lord. We see who God truly is. And let me tell you something. That shapes the way you see the problems in your marriage. That shapes the way you see how your husband is. It shapes the way you see how your children are going through this. It shapes the way you see your singleness. It shapes the way you see. It shapes everything when we see the Lord. In fact, that's our, our big idea. I should probably tell you our big idea for today. Um, the, our big idea for today is that the vision, of the, Lord, the vision of the Lord gives me a vision of my life. That a vision of the Lord gives me a vision of my life. That when we see God as he is, it not only changes the way I see him, it changes the way I see me, and it also changes the way I see my future. When we see a vision of the Lord, and so let me do this this way. So um, uh, uh, we don't have enough time because we're, we're running out of time. So the, uh, the first thing that we see is the level of his loss. We see that in the year that King Uzziah died. The next thing we see is the greatness of his God. The greatness of his God absolutely floors him. He can't believe how God um, is so glorious and so powerful. And after that, he sees the depth of his depravity. Would you write that down? The depth of his depravity. At the sound of their voices, the whole temple shakes or the, the, the door frames shake, which some commentators say that that's where Isaiah was at the temple door. And so he's, there, some commentators say that the whole temple was shaken, but from Isaiah's perspective, it was the doorpost. And Isaiah says in verse 5, Woe to me, I am ruined. Woe to me, I am ruined. Because when you see God as he actually is, it doesn't give you, when you see God as he actually is, you see your sin as it actually is. You, you stop playing with sin like it's a silly thing, like, you know, like, oh. I, you know the reason why our, our change, our change in our lives is, it seems like for some of us is not happening? It's because you don't, you don't, have a, a beautiful, you don't have the vision of God that you need to have, and you don't have the vision of your sin. The reason is, is because you think that, like, oh, man, I broke the drinking too much rule. Oh, I broke the drinking too much rule. I broke the dirty picture rule. Don't see dirty picture. I, I, I broke the don't overeat rule. I broke the whatever, whatever silly thing that you go, and, and, and it doesn't have any effect on you. It's like no big deal. It's like, whatever, whatever. God will forgive me. And yet, 
What we need is when we see the greatness of God, we need to see the depravity of our sin. We need to see the depth of our depravity. We have to see, as, we, when we see the greatness of God and we see the horror of our sin, it makes us want us to not run away from God. You know, that's what we do. When we see the depth of our sin, you know what we do? We run away from God. And if you don't believe me, the next time you sin greatly, see your uh, Sunday service attendance. I've seen this over and over and over again. When people sin greatly, they stop, coming, they stop congregating with the believers. Why? Why do people do that? It's because they think, because they haven't seen the greatness of God. They've just seen their sin. And unless you see the greatness of God and then the depravity of your sin, you'll never run to God. He says this, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah, here is Isaiah, and in the first five chapters, he's telling these people, you guys, you're, you're going against God. You're not speaking what is true. You're not doing what God wants you to do. You're not pursuing the King Lord. And at that moment, he sees himself in the same boat. He recognizes that he too is ruined. He too needs to repent. And maybe for you, that's, that's your takeaway today. You need to repent. And I don't know what you need to repent of. I mean, good night. Maybe, maybe you need to repent of the bitterness in your heart. Maybe you need to repent of your hypocrisy. Maybe you need to repent of your desire to hold on to things, to hold on to your Uzziahs even though they've died. Maybe. Maybe you've put your trust in something other than Jesus for your hope, and that's why you're so miserable. I am a man of unclean lips. Then one of the fiery ones, isn't this interesting? One of the fiery ones, the seraphim, flew to me with a live coal, with fire in their hands, um, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With, that, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. When he sees the greatness of God, and the depravity of his sin. Notice that he doesn't have to beg God to forgive him. Nowhere in the text does he even ask for forgiveness. He just recognizes his sin. But the moment that he recognizes his sin, God sets into motion the process for his forgiveness. The moment that he acknowledges where he truly is, no longer faking it with God, no longer lying to God, no longer acting with God like, you know, you're, you're sorry about something, but you're really being offensive. Honestly, our repentance needs to be repented of. It's like, you know, it, it's like, I remember this one time. Um, I, was listen, I was in a meeting. I was uh, in a convention. I was in a meeting. And I was listening to this guy. He had bought a new car. This, none of you know this guy. This guy is, this is 20 five, six, seven years ago. It's a long time ago. And so I, I, I remember, and there was nothing memorable about his talk, but I remember this part. He said this. He goes, he was with his wife. He bought a car, and with the car, he used the car to pick up prostitutes. He would stay with the prostitutes all night and then come home to his wife, and his wife knew what he was doing, and she was clearly heartbroken. Then he finally came one day at 7 o'clock. I still remember this. At 7 o'clock in the morning, he came home. He opened the door to see his wife at the table, weeping. 
She looked up at him. You can imagine the devastation on her face. And he, his response was this, I can't take that hurt look on your face. What's his next sentence? Anybody know? In my mind, I finished the next sentence. I can't take that hurt look on your face. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. I can't take that hurt look on your face. i got to stop. I need help. Something. Let me tell you how he finished the sentence. He says, I can't take that hurt look on your face. I'm leaving. He left her. See, but that's what we do when we're confronted with our sin. When we're confronted with our sin, we run away from the thing that's convicting us of our sin. We don't, the, the, see, let me ask you something. Are you mad? Are you mad that you were caught lying or that you were actually lying? Which one upsets you more? Are you mad? Listen to me. Are you mad? Are you more mad that you were caught looking at another woman more than your spouse catching you looking at another woman? Are you more mad at being caught or that you were actually looking at another woman? Are you, listen to me, are you more mad that the, that the, the, the urinalysis proved that you were um, actively using or that you were actively using? You see, when we're confronted with our sin, and it isn't until we see the greatness of God. I want to take you back to the greatness of God because the only one who could deal with the greatness of our sin is the greatness of God. The only one who could deal with the depth of our failure is the profundity of who God is. It isn't until we see who God is that we can then deal with how bad we really are. And beloved, let me just say, you are bad. You are worse than you think. You are worse than you think. You have gone far. You think it's bad? It's so much worse than that. You're worse than you think. It's, it's like when I talk with people and they go, you know, I've lied, I cheated, but I never murdered nobody. Well, I guess you got that. And then, you know, it's, it's like this all the time. I mean, you could be shooting up heroin for 20 years. Well, I don't shoot up in my neck. It's like... All right, I guess you win. When we see the greatness of who God is, we can then bring him the greatness of our sin and not be afraid because that very God has salvation for us even before we're asking for it. He's already provided it for us because there was one who went not on an altar of fire but experienced the fiery depth of God's punishment on the cross. His name is Jesus. Jesus lived the life that you should have lived, but you did not. And he died the death that you deserve. The pun it took on the punishment that you deserve so that you could have relationship, so that the fiery coal could touch those places in your life that are sinful. The reason that this coal touched his lips and didn't touch his heart is because the, the lips is what he confessed. When he confessed the sin, God brought atonement for the sin that he had. Had. And God has atonement for the sin in your life. And when we see God as he actually is, we can bring him the depth. And if we see God as he actually is, we can, we can bring ourselves, we can bring the depth of our sin to God knowing that he's enough to heal us. And then here's what happens in verse 8. We'll close. Um, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
And I said, here I am, send me. The last thing you need to know, not only do we see the level of his loss and the depth of his depravity and the greatness of his God, we see the anguish of his assignment. See, remember what we said? The vision of the Lord gives me a vision for my life. His life changes from this moment. God says, here's what I want you to do. This is what I want you to go. This, and this is important that this is in chapter 6, especially for those of you in ministry, because there comes a point where we just need to be reminded by God that he still has for us what he has for us, that you heard a vision, a call from God to go in this direction, and sometimes the pressure of finances, sometimes the pain of the, uh, fulfilling the call, the destruction that comes with following God and the suffering that comes along with it, we can get weary with well-doing. And we can say, no, nah, I'm going to hang it up. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen to me. Listen to me. God reminds him of his call. God reminds him of what he was already doing for the Lord. And then he gives him some insights, and it's this. He said, go and tell the people who be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, never per uh, perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. See, God gives him his call, and this is what God says to him. He says, it's not going to go well for you. The big church you're looking for, not happening. All the people responding to this call, you know how like when it says, you know, you've heard people say, you know, the safest place is in the middle of God's will. And that if you're doing God's will, that he's going to give you rewards and he's going to lead you in the right. Not true, man. God is his own reward. God is his own reward. Being with God during the suffering, that's your reward. Your reward is that you get to suffer and God walks alongside of you in your suffering. He goes, I want you to do this. You're going to have zero success. Now go. And he goes, send me. I want to go. I want to be down with this. Beloved, the vision of the Lord gives us a vision of our lives. When you do not know what the future holds, when you don't know what's going to happen next, what we need is to see a vision of who God is, a greatness of who God is. Let me ask you, do you see him? Do you see him? Do you see him as great and greater than your pain or your circumstance? Do you see them as greater than the struggles in your relationship? Do you see them as greater than the temptations that you struggle with? Do you see them as more wonderful? If you don't, fall on your face and go, God, here's the truth about me. You're no big deal. Here's the truth about me. You are not that impressive. Here's the truth about me. I don't see you high and lifted up. I'd much rather see her. I'd much rather see that. I'd much rather see my goals. I'd much rather see those things outside of you as the delight of my heart and life. Now, we're going to hear a testimony. A testimony of a, a woman who went through a crisis, a difficult time, and how God has gotten her through. And I'm grateful for her story. I'm grateful that she'll be able to share it. But I want to remind you before and after the story that not every story has a happy ending in Christ. Not every story has a happy ending. That sometimes God calls us to suffer, and he is our comforter in the middle of suffering. And he is the one who promises to be with us. And he is the one who will carry us through. With that,
We'll ask Wanda to come up and share her testimony. Hello, church. <laughs> Please don't look at me. <laughs> From a human's perspective, I can summarize my life experiences as having been, for the most part, emotionally stressful and abusive. From a spiritual perspective, I can only say God's insistence on loving me and his faithfulness have been overwhelming. A donde me iré de tu espíritu y a donde huiré de tu presencia? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Psalm 139, 7 and 8. The emotional stress of my circumstances since I was a child until not too long ago was overbearing. I won't get into details, but, I, but just so you can have a background to my story. When I was a girl, I was alone most of the time. Divorced parents, mom was working a lot, my three older brothers were doing their own thing. Unfortunately, I was left in the company of the man that lived with us. When I was done with school, I inundated myself into my career. I had success early on. I was first in my class. One year into my career, I was an international educator. I got married to an emotionally violent man. To avoid his abuse, I kept as busy as possible. I traveled an average of two weeks out of a month, 10 months of the years for 18 years. That relationship lasted 15 years. Over the years, I acquired many things, things and more things, yet I had no one. I was on stage in front of thousands of people, yet I was isolated and alone with my things. A good portion of my life had passed And I didn't make the time to look up and say hi to the one who had always kept me. I was so focused on building capital and being one of the best in the industry. I did, and I was. Fast forward to 2017, my business was struggling. I figured, you have to spend money to make money, so I did. I invested into a business, business expansion. I had a solid business plan with great projections. I was going to be set. The inauguration was going to be the first week of October. September 20th, Hurricane Maria hit. The 30 hours of ravaging winds and rain was the least of it. Thankfully, I didn't suffer family loss or major property damage, but after the winds and rain, Maria became a very intimate and scary storm for me and many, or many other Puerto Ricans. Now what? My business was inoperable. I had some money on my resources, but it didn't matter because there was nothing to buy, no phone lines to call anyone for help. I was alone with my things. I had nothing else to do. No work, no business. I looked up and said hi. <laughs> it's shameful to say that only when I was stripped of my ability to buy and to use my resources was when I took a moment and acknowledged that the whole time I had the best and most precious resource of all, that God is my all in all. 
that I didn't have to be so busy trying to gain things. I was humbled, to say the least. Desperation drove me to pray like never before and to throw my hands up and surrender and say, here I am. I am nothing without you and I can only be if you are with me. Do as you wish, and he did. Many of us wanted to flee in efforts to work and make a living, but there were no flights available for commoners. Military, their families, the sick and elder were given priority, but God made a way, and I made it on a flight. I had this much drinking water when I left home. But God's timing is perfect. Not too soon, never too late. October 1st, I arrived in New York. My circumstances were challenging, but I was grateful. I wanted to act on that gratitude, so I asked my brother, Danny, which you probably all know, where I could go to serve. He said his church was having a community Thanksgiving lunch, so I volunteered to serve. That's where I met Rob. <laughs> he told me to hit him up. I didn't know what that meant, but I found out and I did. <laughs> Early December, I went back to Puerto Rico to try to put the pieces back together, but it wasn't working out. January, Rob went to Puerto Rico and proposed. February, I came to New York to work Fashion Week, and little did we know we would get married that week. I went back to Puerto Rico two days later. Now what? My husband is in New York. I have the remainings of a business. We decided I would move to New York. You all remember I said I had a lot of things? <laughs> what am I going to do with my business, car, condo, and all this stuff? I prayed about it, but I also got in the way by doing what I knew how to do best, which was work tirelessly until I achieved my goal. I didn't sell anything until I looked up and surrendered. Only then I sold my condo, which was on the verge of foreclosure by then. I sold my business just a few days before moving. I sold my car the day I was moving, and I sold slash parted ways with 80% of my stuff. Rob still, still says I have too many things. <laughs> I got a job, a great job, the same, way I, the same week I arrived in New York. I didn't even apply for it. They called me. As a result of waiting and trusting in God, I'm blessed with a great husband and financial stability without asking or looking for either. For you created, me inmost, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Psalm 139, 13, and 14. My huge takeaway, and hopefully yours too, is that my provision, joy, and completion is in my Abba Padre. Things no longer fulfill me, nor determines my value. So that took about, what, five minutes to read? How long does he think that takes to live? Feels like 10,000 years. Not knowing what's going to happen next. What are we saying? None of us know what's going to happen next. As the musicians play, none of us knows what's going to happen next. You and I have no idea how the relationship, the kid, the cancer, the finances, But when all is stripped away, you still have the one who was stripped down naked for you. When all is taken away, you still have the one who was 
laid down his life for you. Beloved, see the greatness of your God. Confess the, de the depth of your depravity. Don't tell God that you, you relapsed. Tell him that there was something in the moment of temptation that made using more joyful than him. Don't tell God that you looked at the dirty picture. Tell God that there is something more satisfying to you than to gaze on his face. Confess. Bring to him your brokenness. Don't tell God that your spouse doesn't understand. Tell God that you don't understand his beautiful love in your life so you can't overflow it. Just take your depravity to God. See him as he is. Confess the depth of your depravity and let him change the course of your life. I love what Wanda said that when she when she finally just said, you know what? It's yours. I could work tirelessly. I could do everything. I could do all this. When I just stopped and just said, God, just won't you do this? God led and guided. And if God would have led her to a foreclosure and God would have led her to a car being stolen and God would have led her to singleness for the rest of her life, that would have been fine too because it would have been God leading her. If God would have led her to unemployment and homelessness, that would have been fine because it would have been God leading her. So, my prayer is that you would see how great God is. Confess the depravity. Confess the depth of your depravity and let him change the course of your life no matter what the outcome is. No matter what his call is, you follow that call. You follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity where we're able to confess how broken we really are and how desperately we want to hold on to these Uzziahs in our lives, these things that we put our trust in. And so, Lord, would you, in a very real way, Convict us of our sin, not our superficial sin, but the depth of our sin. That we would, we would be broken before you, seeking the beauty of your face, knowing that in you there is forgiveness. That in you, you touch those sinful places in our lives. The ones we don't feel like we can confess to anyone else, we can confess to you. Lord, lead us to trust you. That even though we're worse than we think, you are more wonderful than we ever dared dream. More forgiving, more merciful, more kind. Lord, move deeply in our hearts and in our lives. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.